everyone. Welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. Today we're continuing our series called Understanding the Book of Revelation. Revelation teaches that there's a blessing in reading and responding to its message. But for many, the book is filled with either codes or confusion. And we miss Revelation's own focus on Jesus and his call to faithfulness as a result. Today we're looking at the meaning of the seven seals. But first, let me share with you the story of Michael Nadi. Nadi grew up in Sokoto, a city in northwest Nigeria. He lost his father when he was just two and his mother when he turned 13. But he had a hunger for the things of God and a desire to know the scriptures better. So he enrolled in a seminary in Kaduna and gave himself to his studies. Two years ago, on January 8th, his world turned upside down. That evening, an armed gang dressed in military fatigues broke through the school gate. They ended up escaping with four seminarians they had taken as hostages. In the following days, ransom demands were issued, and by the end of the month, three of the four students were released. Tragically, Nadi's body was found dead at the side of the road. It was unclear why he hadn't been released with the others until later that year, when one of the kidnappers was arrested and interviewed in prison. According to a local newspaper, the kidnapper didn't like the confidence the young man displayed in his faith and the fact that he urged his captor to repent and believe the gospel. The same man also admitted that they had kidnapped a mother and her two daughters and the leader of their gang had murdered her because she refused his sexual advances. Tragedies like that force local believers to ask why? And you wonder how long it has to continue. People are asking the same questions about the pandemic, which has now claimed more than five and a half million lives worldwide. And now some reports say Russia may invade Ukraine this week. It's not just the headlines that make us ask those questions, though. We ask them in the face of personal loss, hardship, and difficulty. It's not that we expect our lives to be problem-free, but we figure that believers should get a break. And we hope that a good God has good plans for us and for this world. That was where the minds of the churches in Asia Minor were at when John was given a revelation to deliver to them. Life had become hard because of their faith. Some had lost their jobs and others had lost their customers. They struggled with their finances. A man named Antipas, one of their most faithful Christian brothers, had been killed for his faith like Michael Nadi had. And some were giving in to compromise and temptation as a result. I don't know if the circumstances of our world or your own life have made you ask the why or how long questions. But the vision of the seven seals in Revelation was given to help you when they do. The seven seals teach believers how to endure life in the last days. So let's turn there now. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. We'll start by reading the, f the first four seals in verses 1 to 8. If you don't have a Bible, click on the link for today's passage in the description below. Revelation 6, verses 1 to 8. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And his rider, was, his rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. 
When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. This is the word of God. Now I want you to put yourself in John's shoes as he first received this vision. He's in his 80s or 90s and he's in exile on the island of Patmos. If he's like most people, he wants to hold his grandchildren. He wants to gather with God's people. He wants life to go back to normal. And so he feels excitement as he sees the lamb open the first of seven seals in verse one. The seals are fixed to a scroll. And in chapter five, we learn that Jesus is the only one worthy to open them. One of the living creatures that had been around God's throne speaks with a voice that sounds like thunder. And he says, come. And John can't help but be excited. Surely Jesus is going to act. It must mean relief. Help must be on the way. As he looks, though, what he sees next terrifies him. He sees a white horse and its rider has a bow and a crown. The only military force skilled enough to shoot arrows on horseback in the first century were the Parthians, Rome's most feared enemy. The white horse has come to conquer. And for John, the message is that he needs to brace for more. The fact that Jesus is on the throne doesn't mean that things will get easy. The white horse is bringing war. Even as he's taking that vision in, though, he sees a bright red horse. Maybe this horse will bring an end to war and relief to God's people. But that doesn't happen. Its rider has a huge sword and he's allowed to take peace from the earth so that people slay one another. While the white horse warns of war, the red horse speaks of violence. It warns of the kind of violence that ended in the death of Antipas, the kind of violence that resulted in the death of Michael Nadi, the kind of violence that we hear in the news every day. We're being warned to brace for more. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is still carrying out the purposes of God, but war and violence are allowed to continue. So we need to brace for more. As Jesus opens the third seal, a black horse appears and its rider has a pair of scales. Already that's a bad sign. You only take out the scales when you need to ration your food. But then a voice calls out, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil. This is a kind of sticker shock that carpenters have when they've gone to buy lumber during the pandemic, a quart of wheat was the ration for one person and a denarius was the daily wage of a laborer. Prices are 10 to 12 times what they normally are. 
and it means that an average worker isn't making enough money to buy wheat for his family. He'd have to buy the cheaper barley, and even then, they would be hungry and have nothing left over for the other basic costs of the home. The part about not harming the oil or the wine is a reference to, gra to a grain shortage in 1892. When the grain ran out, Domitian tried to have the vineyards cut down to produce more wheat, but it sparked outrage among the people. That would hurt production for years to come and make the famine more severe. So the black horse has brought poverty. This is terrible news because the Christians in the churches to whom John wrote were already struggling financially. They were being forced out of professional associations and rejected by many because of their faith. Finances were already tight, but they were going to have to brace for more. Finally, a pale horse appears. It says pale, but in every other place in the Bible, this word is translated as green, as in your face looks green. Are you sick? The point is the horse looks like it's affected by some kind of disease. Its rider's name was death, and it says that Hades followed him. One kills and the other imprisons the dead. They're given authority to kill a quarter of the earth with sword, famine, pestilence, and wild beasts. Sounds like a horror movie. The pale horse brings disease and death, and the warning is we need to brace for more. I can tell you this is not what John was hoping to hear. The churches to whom he wrote wanted what you want. They wanted what I want. We want to be told it's all going to be over now. It's all going to be okay. <laughs> but that's not the message. It's not saying we're going to be dealing with COVID-19 for the rest of our lives, although it feels like that sometimes. But it is saying that war, violence, poverty, and disease are going to continue to be with us. These aren't just one-time events in the past or in the future. The four horsemen of the apocalypse, as they're called, continue to ride through history as the painful consequences of human sin. And so we need to brace ourselves for more. The question is, are you up for it? Do you have a faith that leans into God in the hard times? Will you trust him in the trials? Or do the rain clouds dampen your devotion? Do you ease up when things heat up? Now, the opening of the fifth seal turns to a completely different vision and a change, a charge for believers to be faithful until the end. I'll read from verses 9 to 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. We've just seen four visions of the earth that picture human sin and its consequences. They would have been hard for John to see because they warn of more to come. But the fifth seal takes us to heaven and transports us into the presence of God. The scene is, is of an altar. And strangely, the martyrs in verse 9 are said to be underneath the altar. Now, that doesn't mean much to you and me. 
But for people familiar with the temple in Jerusalem, it was full of meaning. When you brought a sin offering to the temple, you would kill the animal and pour its blood at the base of the altar. So here in the vision, the martyrs are seen as precious sacrifices to God. But the vision isn't just for those who lose their lives for their faith, like Antipas and Michael Nadi. It shows that God recognizes all the different ways that we sacrifice to follow him in obedience when life is hard and the four horses of the apocalypse keep coming. Your life can be a precious offering to the God of the universe. Now, as encouraging as that is, we're reminded in verse 10 that even the righteous ask God, how long? When you never ask God how long, you're likely to state the same thing as a complaint instead. It turns into grumbling at best and doubt or unbelief at worst. How could God take so long? It's totally different than how much longer will you be, God? Notice that the righteous recognize that God is sovereign. He's in control. And they say that in hope. They call him holy and true. They trust that he always does what's right. They know that his purposes are beyond ours, and there's so much we don't understand. In verse 11, the answer comes. They're each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer. Someone in a with a white robe in the first century, was rich enough they didn't have to worry about getting dirty. Jesus warned about the status-seeking pride of the scribes who liked to walk around in long robes. That's the same word used in verse 11. Most of the early Christians never got to wear a long white robe. Life was hard and they couldn't afford such luxuries. But those who follow Jesus will be given one. It's a promise of God's reward. What we sacrificed in this life for our faith will be given us in the life to come. The answer to how long we'll have to wait is just a little longer. But then it adds, until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. It shows how valuable each one is to, to him that God counts them. Each life given in devotion to him is precious. But it's also clear that God's looking for more. Who will join the ranks of those who have followed Jesus until the end? Who will be numbered with the faithful whose lives are offered up as a sacrifice to God? Last summer, Riaz Gill was promoted to deputy director of Jinnah Medical Center in Pakistan. When the promotion was announced, he received death threats from his colleagues who refused to work under the leadership of a Christian. As they continued to threaten him, he decided to decline the promotion, but that wasn't enough. Two doctors and their assistants stormed into his office, broke his furniture and attacked him physically. They demanded he resign. He continues to face harassment and threats, and while he's willing to pass on a promotion, he's not willing to compromise on his faith. The vision of the fifth seal shows us how precious that kind of faithfulness is to God. It promises that it'll be rewarded. Those who give up earthly promotions for their faith will receive eternal promotions. The fifth seal urges us to be faithful to the end. So we've said 
we have seven seals which teach believers how to endure life in the last days. They begin with four horses, which warn us to brace for more. And then a vision of the martyrs beneath the altar, urging us to be faithful until the end. Finally, the last two seals urge us to wait for God's final justice. Follow along as I read verses 12 to 17, followed by chapter 8, verse 1. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the skies fell to the earth as the fig trees sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath is come and who can stand. And then in chapter eight, verse one, when the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. The last two seals show us that God's final judgment will in fact come. We're not told how much time has passed between the fifth and the sixth seal. We know that it's been the perfect amount of time for the full number of people to turn to Christ in repentance and give their lives in devotion. We also know that from heaven's perspective, it's just a little while. But the promise is that eventually our prayers of how long are finally answered and justice comes. The picture is of complete cosmic devastation. A huge earthquake shakes the earth. The sun turns black and the moon turns to blood and the stars fall violently. And then if there was any doubt that this was talking about the end of the world as we know it, verse 14 says that the sky vanished up like a scroll that's being rolled up. We, we don't roll up scrolls very much anymore, but it's like when you get one of those wall-mounted wall -mounted projector screens and you release the, rock, the lock on the bottom of it and it just springs up in front of you. That's what's happening to the sky. And then it adds, every mountain and island was removed from its place. Judgment has come and God is cleaning house. The four horsemen won't keep marching on forever. The martyrs won't be crying, how long, indefinitely. God's justice will come. And yet it's so terrible that God delays to give every possible chance for people to repent. Unfortunately, too many refuse to do so. In verse 15, John lists, lists the seven different classes of Roman society, and there are people from each one of them cowering in fear and hiding among the rubble. Despite all they've seen, after everything they've heard, they'd rather call on mountains and rocks rather than pray to the living God. They cry out, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand. The people who have put their trust in this world are seen praying to the things of this world, even as God destroys their world. People who put their trust in their riches, see that their riches 
provide no security when God's judgment comes. People who felt the strength of their status and authority are hiding in the cave alongside the destitute and the homeless. And people who felt confident that they were good enough for God or religious enough for heaven are feeling the weight of their sin in the face of God's holiness. And they realize there's nothing to, ex nothing to say except the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand. Now in chapter eight, verse one, the seventh seal brings half an hour of silence. <laughs> there are at least eight major interpretations of what that silence means. But the most likely seems to be that the final judgment of God is so terrifying that the people of the world have fallen deathly silent before him. The time for warnings and appeals has passed. There's nothing more to say, only to await God's final verdict. The seven seals teach us how to endure life in the last days. We live in the age of the four horsemen. War, violence, poverty, and disease take a toll on us even when we see them from a distance. When we hear their footsteps closer to home, the pressures are even greater. And they force us to ask how we, how we will respond. Maybe the best place to start is by asking how you have responded. How have you responded to the sickly pale horse that we've been confronted with over the last couple of years? How have you responded to the tri trials that you've had to face? Have they dialed down your devotion? Have you chosen the path that's more of me and less of him? Walk back your steps of compromise. This isn't a time for half measures. Maybe you'd say, I've been paying the price. I've really tried to be a living sacrifice to God. Life got harder, but my faith got stronger. I've been practicing gratitude, joy, love, and forgiveness. I've grown in love for God, love for neighbor, and love for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Know that God sees your sacrifices as precious. They're like the blood poured at the foot of the altar. They're holy in his sight, and he'll reward you for them. He'll clothe you in robes you were never able to afford and show you the honor that this world denied you. Finally, if you're someone who's been putting Jesus off in your life, if making peace with God and turning your life over to Jesus is something you're hoping to get around to someday, don't wait. The sixth seal doesn't come with a countdown timer. If you're hearing, if you're hearing me, this is your warning. By the time God rolls up the sky, there won't be anything more to say. The only reason he hasn't brought his judgment sooner is that he's waiting for the full number to turn to him. Maybe you're the last one he's waiting on. Come to him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in one sense, this is not the message we want to hear. We want to hear that these things are all behind us. We want to hear that it'll be all better. We cry, how long? And yet we thank you, Father. We thank you that you see every act of sacrifice, every step of devotion, every act of love motivated by our faith. 
and it's precious in your sight. Thank you for the promise of reward. Thank you that you clothe us in those robes that are often denied us in this world. We seek your face. And Father, I pray for anyone, anyone still trusting in this world, anyone still waffling in compromise, feeling that it would be easier to take an easier route. Draw them to safety. Help them to turn to Jesus Christ alone for the salvation that he offers. Draw them, draw them near, Father, for we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I hope this message has helped you to see how the seven seals teach you how to endure life in the last days. The simple message is brace yourself for more, be faithful to the end, and wait for God's final justice. If that stirred up questions for you or you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, send me an email or leave a comment below. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.